Hi, I'm Don O'Neill. My wife and I have been members here for about 35 years. Our children have grown up in this church, and as a family, we've all grown spiritually by strong biblical teaching and preaching. We're very grateful for that. I'm grateful that this is a multi-generational, multicultural church that tries hard to minister to everyone. It doesn't matter if you're preschool or children's or in students or young adults or medium adults or senior adults or whatever nationality you are, this church strives to minister and present the gospel to everyone. Not all churches do that, but I'm very grateful that we do. And when I think about this project, about why would we, why do we want to improve our facilities? Why do we want to make them more appealing and more family friendly and more functional and with better access for a lot of people? I often have to remind myself, it's not about me or what I like or what I want or what I prefer. It's about reaching others. How do we best reach others with the gospel? That's our job. It's our task. God's Word is very clear about that. And as I think about over the years that we've been here, we've been very blessed by those who have prayed and planned and sacrificed so that we could have good facilities. And I hope that as a church and as a body of believers that we want to leave a legacy to those who come behind us. And my prayer is, is that they will find us faithful. Hey man, what a great word from uh, Don O'Neill uh, on that video. And we have so many that feel that way. You know, our leadership teams are all behind this and excited about where we're headed with this. And so we want you to pray with us towards the June 23rd. There is a forum tonight at 5 p.m. and then another one on Wednesday night in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, that's a chance for you just to come talk with the ULIS campus team and then uh, answer any questions that you may have. And then on June 23rd at 11 a.m., we want everybody in this service right here, and we'll make that decision at the end of the service. Now, I, I get to sit with my wife today as someone else preaches today. That, that's, that's rare for me. I, I think that's happened just a handful of times uh, over the course of 35 years, but I love sitting with her. I love hanging out with her. And uh, today, Russell Gregory is going to come bring a word. I was thinking about how to introduce Gre Russell, and, uh, you know, Russell's one of those guys that you really have to love. He's one of the guys I love most of anybody that I know. So I said, how should I introduce you? We started talking about his baseball career at Dallas Baptist University. And I said, what position did you play back then? And he told me shortstop or second base. But he said, I was the best athlete on the team. So he introduced me that way. So I want you to greet the best athlete 100 years ago at the Dallas Baptist University baseball team. Russell Gregory, come up here and bring a word about marriage for us. Well, I love that. I, I didn't think he was actually going to share that, but you know, hey, just being humble. Hey, I'm excited to be here with you this morning uh, as we continue in our love series. And so today I get the opportunity to present to you love in a romantic way, love in marriage. Now, I want you to hang with me. If you're here today and you're a college student, a high school student, elementary student, whatever you may be, single, and you may be going, okay, what does this have to do with me? I'm going to check out. I want you to stay with me because what I want to share with you today from Scripture is what I believe is the blueprint that God created marriage for. And I think he laid it out pretty simple for us. So if you have any idea, if you're thinking about getting married one day, stay with me. If you're here today and, and, and you are going, well, I've been married, you know, 40 years, 30 years, 20 years, what I need to know again, this is a maintenance. This is something that we need to continue doing. So please stay with me today. The reason it's so important is because I believe our world today has such an awful view of love. 
I remember when I was younger, in fourth grade, in fact, I remember it's going to be my first girlfriend. Okay. And so in, in those days I would, I would ride my bike and I was going to go ask this girl to go steady. Now in this crowd, probably about 10% of you know what the word steady means. If you're as old as I am or older, you know what that means. If you're younger, what it means is you are going to go out with someone. Okay. But we used to ask people, would you go steady with me? We even had a bracelet that we would give the person that would say yes to go and steady with us. And so I remember this one evening, I'm a good son. I'm a mama's boy. And she said, Hey, you got to be home when the light turns on, right? The street light, make sure you're home at that time. So I rolled my bike over there, was talking to this girl. And I don't know how long I've been there, but I was just so nervous to ask her to go steady with me. And so finally, I kind of looked around and realized the sun is going down. I better hurry up. That street light's going to come on. So I finally turned around and I said, well, you go steady with me. And she said, yes. And so at that point, I was like going, yes. I gave her the bracelet, said my name on it. We were a pair. We were a couple going steady. I got on the bike, rode as fast as I could to get home. I was so excited. I went into the room. I just sat in the room going, oh my gosh, this is incredible. She said yes. And two days later, she gave me back my bracelet and broke up with me. It's like, no, we're in love. This is to last forever. And she's kind of looked at me. She says, no, I got it. And she pulled it. I got like two or three other bracelets. Yours is back. See, what that love was is what's known as puppy love, infatuation. And the scary part about today is I've done premarital counseling. I've counseled me and my wife have counseled many numerous couples. And what we've seen in the past and some other couples that have come back is that we have a false view. We have a terrible view of love. We are actually entering into our marriages with this view of love, that it's all based on looks, a feeling, or newness. And once that newness wears off, once that feeling wears off, and now all of a sudden they begin to look around, I have no idea what they're going to base their foundation of their marriage on, because that is no longer any good. And seeing that's infatuation. And that's where I think we're in trouble with our marriages today, is that we have a lot of people that have no idea what to do because they have a wrong view of love. Well, God shows us exactly what love has to do with it. That's the title of marriage. What does love have to do with it? Well, you're going to find out today that love, real love, true love has everything to do with it. So if you'll join with me as we, as we read in God's word, if you'll stand and turn to Genesis, Genesis chapter two, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning when God created marriage here. Genesis chapter two, verses 18 through 25. In verse 18, he says, then the Lord God says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground of the Lord, God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the bird of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at the place. The Lord God fashioned into the woman, the rib, which he had taken from man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked 
and we're not ashamed. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you again for the opportunity we have to come into your, into your presence. Father, I pray that you would speak to the hearts and the ears of the people, that every word that I speak would not be from me, but be from you today. Father, we thank you for marriage. Thank you for loving us, for your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. Father, may you use us today to glorify your kingdom. And I pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, for we can do all things to him which strengthens us. Amen. You may be seated. So as I started preparing for this, uh, there's a lot of things that are going on. One of the things that was going on is I have a filter now. I didn't always have a filter, so I've got to keep my filters. I talk about marriage and love and, 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 and intimacy and all that. As you want, if you know me or if you don't know me, you're going to find out me and my wife are passionate about marriages. We are passionate about it because we know that God took two broken people and brought them together. And we know it's only by God's grace that we're here today to be able to celebrate the 26 years of marriage that we have. It's not anything that Russ has done or Michelle has done. It's all because of God and the glory to him. So our passion is to help people to thrive in their marriage. If you're here today and, and your marriage is just okay, that's not okay. God created marriage so we would thrive in our marriage. So when I look back as I began to prepare for this, I looked up the word infatuation. And I love this definition. The definition for infatuation is lacking sound judgment. That's awesome. Lacking sound judgment. Man, I've fallen into that trap before. I've done a lot of dumb things in my life, but lacking sound judgment. Foolish, completely carried away by foolish or shallow love or affection. If that's what you're basing your marriage on, you are lacking sound judgment. It's not, it's not going to last. See, infatuation is fueled by chemicals that have been released into your brain. And research shows that those chemicals that are released in your brain can only last, can only last up to six months to two years or sometimes two days. Okay. It cannot last forever. And see the difference with infatuation and agape love, which we're going to talk about here in a second is infatuation is all about me or us being loved. It's not about choosing to love. It's all about getting my need met, not meeting the need of my spouse. And see, that completely changes because we are selfish people. We are wicked in the heart and we want things. But God says, that's not the love that I have. That's not the love that I've shown you. And it's definitely not the love that I want you showing your spouse. So as we look at it in the Old Testament, but if you fast forward to the New Testament for someone in here that may feel like, well, that's Old Testament. It has nothing to do with me. Well, then let's look at the New Testament. See what God says about the New Testament, about love in the New Testament. Look in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Pastor introduced this last week. Listen to what love is. The word there, love, is agape love, unconditional love. Listen to what it is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, I want you to look at that. Because if you're struggling in your marriage, one of the reasons we struggle in our marriage is because we always look outward. Well, that's what's wrong with her or that's what's wrong with him. And the problem is we need to look inward. We need to draw a circle around ourselves and go, I can only fix the person inside this circle. So I've counseled many. I said, do you do this? Do you, are you patient? That word there, kind, 
It doesn't necessarily mean the kind, like when you walked in today, hopefully you got a handshake and someone greeted you. When we went around a meet and greet, someone shook your hand and said, man, glad to see you. That's being kind. What this word kind means is to adapt, to meet the needs of others. That's what that word kind means. So when it says love is kind, it says love says I'm going to adapt whatever I got to do to meet my spouse's needs, whatever that is. It says love bears all things. That word bear means to put up with. It means to endure. It means to to handle difficult situations or difficult times, whether they were brought on by you or your spouse, whatever that is. I saw my wife when when, when it gave me a whole new concept of uh, until death do us part, that, that, that covenant. Well, as you guys know, as I went through surgery and she had to be right there with me and, and helping me and tending to me and taking care of me. That means sickness and in health. She didn't ask for those hard times. But she says, I'm going to bear all things. It says to endure all things. It's like a heavy weight put on you that you're not going to go. I can't handle this no more. It's gotten way too hard. So therefore, I'm going to throw it off. It says, no, I'm going to stick and I'm going to stay and I'm going to be right here beside you. Why? Because love is a choice. My wife can tell you, you may not believe this, but sometimes I can act unbecoming. I can do that. And sometimes there are things that I do that she just kind of looks at me and says, really? And she may even say, I don't really like you right now, but I choose to love you. And I always say, I'll take that. Amen. That's right. So that's what love is. And so when we look in Genesis, we look at what love, what, what is it all, what's love got to do with it? Look at verse 24. The very first one is love is intentional. Love is intentional. Verse 24a says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. The word there, leave, means to abandon. Now you physically abandon. Once you get married, you physically abandon your father and your mother. It doesn't mean you never get to do anything with them again, but it means you are to leave them. But it also means you are to reprioritize your life. It is saying that from right now, this moment forward, that my number one priority, other than my relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, is my spouse. It's not my mom. It's not my dad. It's not my work. It's not my children. It is my spouse. And that's why when he said the very first things, you have to leave that. Why? Because he knows Satan's no fool. There's so many people that we have counseled, counseled that have had an issue of letting go to mom and dad. They may physically move out, but they don't let go. And they continue to run back to mom and dad, continue to ask for the, the, uh, advice, which is great. But yet you don't ever go to your spouse. You're going to your, your mother or your father. And what happens is you begin to develop what's known as an ungodly soul tie to your mom or dad. That's very difficult to break. That's why he says you must leave, abandon your mother and your father because your spouse is your number one priority. Now, how do we show that priority? How do we prove that? We've proved it four ways. One, sacrifice. Literally, what are you willing to give up? I've met so many people, so many that says, well, you know, when we got married, I would do this. But now that we're married, she's not letting me do that anymore. And I don't understand why she's not letting me do that anymore. And I go, well, probably because she wants to hang out with you. Well, she knew I did that before. And I go, well, let me ask you a question. Are you willing to give that up? Not really. Then you're saying that that's more important. If you're here this morning, there's things in your marriage 
that you're saying, oh, yeah, no, no, you're number one in my life, but yet I got to go do this. And really what you're telling them is, no, you're not number one in my life. That is. So what are you willing to give up? Your time. How much time are you spending with your wife? And I don't mean just physically being present. I mean, literally spending time, that quality time. One of the times I was visiting with Michelle and I said, what's the one thing that you fear most about, about our marriage? And she said, being alone. I thought, well, that's nuts. We work together. We live in the same house. We share a bedroom. How in the world are you alone? And she said, you're here physically, but you're not here mentally. How many of you guys are there at your house? You walk in the door and you check out. You're physically there, but you're not paying any attention. Your wife could walk through the door in a new dress and you won't even notice. Same thing goes with the spouse, the, the wife. You know, are you really truly spending time? The other thing is, is not only sacrificing time, but energy. How much energy are you pouring into your marriage? How much energy are you truly pouring into it? You know, are you taking the time? You know, one of the things, and I, again, I'm not a romantic person. I'm not a romantic person. In fact, probably the only thing I've ever done romantically is I, I make coffee in the morning, but that, that says I love you big time, right? But one of the things is that whenever I was out with the, with the surgery and, 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 and recovering is that my wife would go to work and I, I would just write little love notes. You know, it was, it was dumb, but on a napkin, right? I was like, I make, I'd, I'd put it on a napkin, put it in her lunch and said, praying for you today, love you, whatever, you know? I didn't think anything of it. She kept all those. She kept those. And it's like that made the world a difference. It's like when she was having a stressful day, she had those. Energy. Again, I'm not trying to say way to go rush. I'm not. I'm a terrible romance person. I am. She'll tell you. But it's just what energy? What could I do at that moment? Because I felt like I couldn't do anything. What energy are you putting into it? And then what's your attitude like with her? How are you talking about your spouse when they're not around? How are you acting when they are around? Are you annoyed? You at put off? Or are you excited to see them? Are you pumped? When you walk in that door, you're not promised another second. So every time you walk in that door and your spouse is there to greet you, it's another gift. It's like you just saw them for the very first time. What is your attitude towards them? That shows that you truly have priority with them. So not only do you leave and abandon, but then you, you pursue. It says totally committed to leave and to join. That means totally committed to your spouse. That means to pursue with all energy. I, I love this because it, it means that, that whatever I got to do, that's what I'm going to do to make this marriage work. One of the things that we challenged our, our couples last year uh, was to date. I love the date night challenge. I love seeing those dates on Facebook. We challenged them to 18 dates. You date your spouse 18 times. Your name goes in the drawing uh, for a cruise. And man, they went out and they rocked it. So this year we're talking about it. We said, well, it's 2019. We're pretty smart people. So let's do 19 dates. And I really thought, to be honest with you, 19 dates, that's going to be difficult to get to. These people, some of them are sitting around you are absolutely rocking it, knocking it out of the world. They're like on date 14. They are being creative. I love that. If you haven't dated your spouse in a long time, then go on a date. 
Just get away and go on a date. Spend some time with them. That's what that word means. So if you've been here and you've been married for numerous years and you're going, I don't need to date my spouse. You need to ask your spouse, do we need a date? And they're going to say, absolutely. Date your spouse. Pursue them with all kinds of energy. See, love is intentional because it understands that that infatuation cannot carry it. It's intentional because it's understanding that love is defined by the cross. You have to be intentional with it. I came home several years ago. Many of you guys know the story. I came home from coaching clinic. Seven years, eight years into our marriage, walked through the door and Michelle's not there. I was acting a fool, doing stupid stuff. And she said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Only by the grace of God, she agreed to meet me in Ardmore, Oklahoma at a small motel there. No radio, no TV, nothing. And we stayed there weekend there. We cried there. We prayed there. We just, we, we just spent time together. But out of that, we made a covenant. Wrote down all the things that, 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 that I'm going to do as a husband. She wrote down all the things that she's going to do as a wife. And then we brought that home and we stuck it up on the refrigerator like you would your grandkids, you know, pictures or your children's pictures. And we stuck that up there. Why? Because one is a reminder of what did I promise that I was going to do? What did she promise? It was intentional. But we also want our children to see that because what we were seeing is that we were about to leave a legacy of mom and dad don't love each other and we're not going to fight. And we didn't want to do that. We wanted to leave a legacy for our children that we were intentional about our love and that we were going to do whatever it took to stay the course so that they can see it. So we left that up there. That's love is intentional. What are you doing to prove your love right now? Are you intentional about making your spouse feel like they are the greatest gift that you've ever received? Because you know what? They are. So love is intentional. Second one, love is intelligent. Love is intelligent. Look at what it says here in verses 18. I will make him a helper suitable for him. I will make. Now understand God is the one that's speaking here. God is the one that says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Understanding that that word suitable means a perfect fit. Now understand it didn't say your spouse is perfect, but it means a perfect fit. It's, it's, it's like a puzzle piece that fits together. Also, what Adam says, he says this, this is this and only this one. There is no other. There is no, I'm going to marry this one for a little while. And after this gets old and tiring, then I'll divorce and I'll move on. Now, let me say something. I'm going to pause this for a second. If you're here today and, 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 and you have walked through divorce and you're beating yourself up over it, Satan's having a heyday with you telling you that God doesn't love you, that you are not worthy, please hear me. Scripture says God hates divorce. Okay? Scripture says God hates divorce. God doesn't hate you. Understand, the reason why God hates divorce is because divorce hurts people and God loves people. God does not hate you. God loves you. So if Satan's beating you up, if he's got a stronghold in your life for whatever reason on the divorce, you need to get before God. He already sent his son to die on the cross for those sins, for anything like that, and break that chain that Satan has upon you right now and walk in the freedom that only God can give you. Understand that. 
God says, I hate it, but I don't hate you. But it's intelligent because not only do we understand that he is the one that brings us that perfect fit, but then he says, you can't make it being separated. So scripture goes on and says in verse 24 that they shall become one flesh. Okay, now, this is the fun part. This is the greatness. You get to become one. Now, my wife sometimes gets scared by that because she's becoming more like me. I love it. She's like, no, 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 no. You're becoming more like me. But we're both becoming, we're becoming one. And notice, becoming, it's ongoing. You're still becoming one until death do you part, right? And so he says you can become one flesh. And the only way we can become one flesh is learning to die to ourselves. Complete surrender. God designed marriage for us to become one mentally, spiritually, physically, and intimately. All things. But an only way to do this is understanding that if I'm going to become one with you, then I have to set my needs aside to meet your needs. I have to surrender to come to meet what you need. That's what it is. See, that's why it's so important because the number one need of a woman is security. The number one need of a man is honor. And when we meet those needs, then we understand that you are meeting my need, I'm meeting your need, and we are becoming one. We are surrendering to one another. But the only way we can understand that is we have to recognize the inability that we have to love our spouse the way we promised we would. We don't have the capabilities without Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, it is impossible. Look at what it says in John 15, 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If Christ doesn't help us, we can't do it. What changed my whole deal when we, when we talk about this is understanding that God necessarily didn't create marriage for us to be happy. What? Why would you say that? I always want to be happy. I get it. But think about it this way. Maybe God created marriage for us to be holy. And when we look at it that way, then we understand in order for us to be holy as a couple, then we have to be holy as an individual, which means that I, as a husband, have to seek my Lord and Savior every single day with everything that I have. Michelle has to seek the Lord and Savior with everything she has. And if we're both seeking the Lord each and every day with everything we have, then we're not only being drawn closer to God, but we're being drawn closer to one another. And when that happens, that oneness occurs. And trust me, that's when we're happy, when that oneness occurs because what it also does, it understands that we need to be a reflection of the triune God, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. Do you think about your marriage that way? Students, do you think about the man or woman you're going to marry as a reflection of the gospel? If you're not, you need to, that's the purpose of marriage. So when you think about it that way, you think makes all my decisions based on what Jesus wants. Every time I want to do something, I got to think, am I reflecting the gospel or am I reflecting my image? And he says, I want you to reflect the triune God because God is intelligent and God created marriage. So love, agape love is intelligent. See, who wants to come against that is Satan. And he says, I've defeated Satan. You just be a reflection of it. You seek me with everything you have. And then go out and reflect that gospel. Go out and reflect the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So not only is love intentional, love is intelligent, 
But the last one, number three, love is intimate. Look at verse 25. We're getting to the good part right here. And the man and his wife were both naked. Yes. And we're not ashamed. Let us pray. I'm kidding. I love, I love, I love doing this verse in weddings. Those of you who are in here, I've done this. I've done this. I do this on most of my weddings. And I love doing it because I love to see the expressions. When I get to this point, when I get to say the word naked and I get to see the different expressions, you know, the man is like, <laughs> and the girl for the most part is a little beet red. But then I understand, I explained, hang on a second. The word there naked means to be totally vulnerable. See what, what God is saying here is I want you to be able to be, have the emotional intimacy as well as the sexual intimacy. If you don't have the emotional intimacy, you're, you're not going to be able to enjoy the sexual intimacy. I want you to be able to be vulnerable with one another. You got to be open. And then it goes on. They were both naked and were not ashamed. They weren't disappointed. See, they, they, they experienced something that, that every couple that's in here wants to experience. They were totally vulnerable with one another, totally open with one another without fear or rejection. See, our number one need is love. Our number one fear is rejection. And so because of that, when God brings two people together, two broken people together, he says, in order for this to work, love has to be intimate. Love is intimate, which means you have to be able to be open and vulnerable with one another. Now, understand when me and my wife met, I, I truly, I fell in love with her from the moment I saw her. I really did. I know I joke around about infatuation, but I truly did. But we had dated for a little bit and, and my wife is, she, you know, we were sitting there one night and, and she said, I love you. And I, I did what any normal human being would do and I totally froze. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. I knew I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. And in my mind, I'm saying, I love you. But what came out of my mouth was, I'm crazy about you. I didn't say I was intelligent. I said, love is intelligent. <laughs> now understand, there had been some things in my past that I had a trust issue and the last thing I wanted to do was to open myself up to someone, to be vulnerable with someone. And so literally, I, when I said I froze, I froze because I going, well, I don't, I don't know if I can go there. Thank goodness God continued to work. And thank goodness she stayed with me. But I'm afraid today we have marriages that you may say you love one another, but in reality, you're just going, I'm crazy about you, but there's no way I'm telling you what's going on inside of me. There's no way I'm going to tell you the hurts that I have, the pains that I have, the sin that I'm struggling with. I'm not going to tell you that. And the reason is, it's because we're afraid of judgment coming back at us. We're afraid if I'm totally open and honest that you're going to say something to reject me. You're going to say something that judges me. I can't tell you how many times that, that I've had to go to Michelle and, and share with her things that's going on, struggles. And for her to look at me and said, I love you, that, that, that's not you anymore. That's in your past. 
See, we're so afraid of opening up that closet of skeletons because we don't want anybody else to know, but that's not what love is. See, God demonstrated his love in Romans 5, 8. He says, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God knows your past. He knows everything about you and he still sent his son. So if that's the love we're supposed to to, to show, then why in the world can we not do that? Why do we want to judge? Why do we want to pick at? Why do we want to say, well, I can't believe you did that? Because God didn't do that. And the love that he's talking about, the love in a marriage, that's the type of love it's supposed to be. Psalms 103, 10 and 11 says this. I love this verse, these two verses. It says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Nor rewarding us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness for those who fear him. Adam and Eve were living without fear or rejection. They were able to be totally open and vulnerable with one another without fear of rejection. Why? Because sin hadn't entered the world at that time. The next chapter, sin entered the world. And what's the first thing they did? They recognized they were naked and they went and got cover and they ran. See, they ran because of deception. They ran because of sin. As human beings, that's what we want to do. We want to run into a corner. We want to run and hide. But God says, that's not what I created marriage for. You need to be open and vulnerable. See, my, my wife can know when I'm not healthy. My wife can tell when I'm, when I'm not truly walking with the Lord. Because when I'm not truly walking with the Lord, then I isolate myself. I try to hide because of things that are going on. He says, that's not what I did. That's not why I brought her into your life. That's not why you brought into her life. If you don't want sin to find you out, by the way, sin will find you out. But if you don't want sin to find you out, then if you're sitting out there thinking about getting married, don't get married. Because God brought you two together as a perfect fit so that you could be open and vulnerable with one another emotionally. But then it leads to the sexual intimacy as well. Because the Bible says that we are, we are to multiply. Now I want to say this real quick. A lot of people, when they think about sex, sexual intimacy, they get, it, they, get it, they get a little fearful because of maybe something happened in their past or maybe something that they're heard. See, what Satan wants you to believe is in order for you to have great sex in your marriage, that you got to go over to the dark side. But the Bible says that God created it to be done within the confines of your marriage between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. And this is where we have a sick view of love because we have taken what God created to be something beautiful and we had twisted it and turned it and tried to make it fit what anybody else wants to say. So I want to encourage you mom and dads that are out there. Stand firm in this. Grandparents, stand firm in this. God created marriage between a husband and a wife. God created sexual intimacy in the confines of a marriage between a husband and a wife. And he created it so it could be glorifying to him. He created it so we could have an incredible time to worship him and to worship one another. We are becoming one. That's what that is. So please hear me on that. Do not be afraid. To be able to share that with your kids. Now, please hear me. I don't mean sexual intimacy, kids coming in, that's totally weird. But to talk to your kids, to talk to your grandkids. 
One of the things is Michelle and I is weird in our marriage. One of the things we wanted to make sure of is that our, our kids understood that that God created sex and, and, and created husband and wife. I just shared. So I, we wanted to make sure that, that, that they saw mommy and daddy kissing. Now, again, I'm not trying to get gross here, but I want my kids to see dad hug their mom. I want my kids to see dad kiss their mom. I want my kids to see dad love their mom. And she wanted the same thing because I don't want them learning it from someone else. I don't want them getting distorted what, what it's about. So we took time to share and to talk about it. Now, I'm, I like to joke around. I like to, I like to give my kids a hard time. And, and I'm just going to pause for a second. I'm, I'm using my filter. I am. But I have to say that. But we, used to, we, would, we would talk about it. And there's times that we would joke around. And, and our kids would just get totally embarrassed. And just, oh, that's gross. And they'd run out of the room. Well, I learned my lesson. So my, my youngest daughter uh, is getting married uh, in October and she's in here. She's here with us, with her fiance. And so we would, we would joke around, me and my wife would joke around and, and all of a sudden the topic of sex would come up. And of course I would like going, bow, 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 doing something and try to embarrass her. And she's like going, dad, stop it. You're embarrassing me. You're embarrassing Isaiah and Gavin and them all be the same way, right? Everybody, everybody gets embarrassed by dad. So the other day, it's about, about two months ago, she got me back. So she's getting married. She's my youngest daughter, my little princess, right? And so we're sitting there and we're joking around and it starts the topic of sex. And so dad goes into dad mode and I'm like gonna really make her feel embarrassed. And all of a sudden she's learned from dad to go, yeah, come on, bring it on because I'm gonna bring it right back to you. And so she said, yeah, daddy, I can't wait. So me and Isaiah get to do that same thing come October 4th. It's going to be great. I started backtracking. No, 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 no. She said, no, no, daddy. Let's talk about it some more. You want to know about it? Because I can't wait. I've been waiting my entire life for this. And this is going to be good. I can't wait to see him. I go, honey, I don't want to talk. I'm turning red as I am now. I'm backtracking. So just be careful. But God created sex to be enjoyed and have an incredible time with your spouse. God is good all the time. And he created marriage for that. But it has to be within the confines of marriage. Me and my wife, we're having one of the things we love doing. And I'm going to close with this. We love, we love fires. And we were having a fire in the fireplace and the kids were small and we were roasting marshmallows. And we we're having a great time looking at that fire, just having family time. And for some strange reason, I'm in the, I go to the kitchen. I don't know why I'm in the kitchen, but we have this, the stove on. And I go in there and I, and I toss one of the, the, cup the towels on and it hits the stove and all of a sudden it starts catching fire. What well, all of a sudden immediately went and it started to go, go up the wall. And we're like, whoa, this is panic. And the kids are looking at me. Michelle's looking at me. What are you doing? And, and so we're, we're able to get the fire out. But it was a great teaching moment. So we were able to sit down. And I told my kids, I said, look, I said, we were just enjoying an incredible fire. It's beautiful, wasn't it? It's beautiful fire. And they go, yeah, daddy, it's great. It's a great fire. And they go, what's the difference between that fire and the fire that just started in the kitchen? And they said, well, that, that fire was about to burn our house down. I said, yeah. And we looked at him and said, that's, that's the same way with sex outside of marriage. See, sex inside of marriage is a beautiful thing, just like that fire in the fireplace.
Sex outside of marriage destroys people. God created sexual intimacy to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife to become one. Love is intelligent. Love is intimate. And love is intentional. I'm gonna ask our prayer partners to come down, Brad, to come down. One thing I wanna share with you is if you're here this morning and maybe your marriage is not thriving, maybe, maybe you're, you're struggling, maybe you're, just, you're, you're not connecting, whatever the case may be, we wanna help. We have phenomenal mentor couples here that would love to pour into you. Please hear me. Don't walk out of here. Don't leave. If, you're, if your marriage is not thriving, if it's not great and you're going, man, we just, we just need maintenance. The oil light's coming on or the gas light's coming on and, and we keep putting tape over it so we don't want to notice this. It's okay not to be okay. Marriage is the hardest ministry that we'll ever do. If you're hurting, let us help. Let us help. If you're here today and your marriage is great and you want to help, other couples would love to hear from you. We have a mentoring program. You can go online, crosscity.church slash mentoring. But please, if you're hurting today, we have people down here to pray with you. If you walked in this morning and you understood marriage and you may be married, you may not understand, well, how do I, how do I make Christ the center of my marriage? Well, the first thing you gotta do is you must accept him as your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, please be bold. Take courage to walk down front, to come visit with one of these people. Father, I come to you thanking you for an incredible day. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us just to sit in your presence today. Father, we just want to glorify you. Father, speak to the hearts of the people. Father, just allow them to feel your presence. And I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, for we can do all things to him that strengthens us. Amen.